This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook Design works on an enormous and diverse range of interesting problems. So I asked Tori Hargrove what's his biggest challenge with designing for Facebook, and here's what he said. The majority of Facebook's users exist outside of the United States, and having been someone who was raised in uh, the southwest uh, of the U.S., it means I have to adapt to the way people use our products, even the way they use phones, in a way that uh, I never had to do before. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Chegg Incorporated is looking for a UX designer for a contract role. Halo Group is looking for an Atlanta-based JavaScript developer. And Buffer is looking for an engineering manager. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I'm proud to announce that Revision Path is sponsoring the 2017 Black in Design Conference. This event takes place October 6th through the 8th at the Harvard University Graduate School of Design, and the theme for this year's event is Designing Resistance, Building Coalitions. General admission tickets are on sale now. I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes so you can get yours today. Now let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. MailChimp gives you the marketing tools you need to be yourself on a bigger stage. So whether that's corporate, agency, or freelance work, you can join more than 15 million people who use MailChimp to grow their businesses on their own terms. And with integrated Facebook and Instagram advertising, you can find new customers and reconnect with others. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. MailChimp. Send better email. When you have a great idea for a project, you need to give it a great domain name. And guess what? Finding the perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. Hover has over 400 domain extensions, including the classics like .com or .net, niche extensions like .design or .tech, and even quirky extensions like .pizza, .ninja, and .horse. Once you find your domain, you can use Hover Connect to set up your domain with your website in just a few clicks. Find the domain name for your idea today. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's hover.com forward slash revision path. Hover, domain names for your ideas. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional business or enterprise projects. Whether you're building something custom or you're using a CMS like WordPress, SiteGround lets you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple hosting options that your websites can grow into. Visit siteground.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. Now for this week's interview. We're talking with Dwayne Jones, designer and founder of Art Pays Me in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Let's start the show. 
All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Okay. My name is Dwayne Jones, and I consider myself a designer, but I have a clothing brand called Art Pays Me, which I design and basically I do everything because I'm the only one. And I also work in information management. I have a day job doing that. So I want to talk about Art Pays Me. I want to definitely want to get into that, but I'm interested in this information management part. Talk to me about that. How did you get started with that? So what is interesting is um, I work for Dalhousie University, which is a university in Halifax where I live. And I was hired here actually 10 years almost to the day as a graphic designer. While I was doing the job, I I just started to get a I was hitting a, hitting a point in my career where I was getting frustrated with the industry as a whole, and I wasn't really liking the design work that I was doing. It was more like research posters, which if you know anything about them, they're like four foot by six foot things loaded with text. It would be cool if you could make it like a cool infographic type of a project, but people don't want that. They just They just want the data slapped up there, so... The occasional cool project would come in, but they they weren't very frequent. And I was just looking for ways to kind of grow in my career. And, and at the same time, me just being frustrated. I had a freelance business on the side as it was, too. And I was, over as a whole, just getting mad at the design industry. And since I work for this university, they offer free education to anyone who's a full-time employee. So... I looked at different programs and I saw the Master of Information Management. And while I didn't necessarily know what I would do with it when I was done, I just liked the courses individually. They had a user experience course. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm interested in web as a designer. So that was part of the degree requirement. And then the, the rest of them were like information people in society and just a lot of like the conceptual management side of of like information architecture, basically, and kind of culture coming together. And when I was in, in art school and design school, I was interested in semiotics and rhetoric and all that kind of stuff. So to me, it, it kind of was a less visual-based version of that. So how do the two kind of play into each other? I mean, now, of course, you're doing design. Uh, how does that information management knowledge play into that? Well, the interesting thing is I was pretty intimidated when I first started because I was never really gifted academically. And when I got in the program, the cohort of people that I was with were people who worked at fairly high levels in Canadian federal government. It was an online degree, even though it was through my, you know, the place I work. The way they did it was you had these online cohorts and then you'd get together physically once or twice a year. So anyway, like they were people from the military, people from government, people from like private sector in fairly high positions and really intelligent people who actually had work experience in information management. So, man, I don't know. I don't know how me as a low graphic designer is going to really keep up and function. And then I realized that my way of thinking, like this is also the same time the whole design thinking trend was kind of going on. Mm-hmm. And I just saw, I was like, yeah, as a designer, I, I problem solve in a different way than these other people. And even though they're really bright, they're also looking at me and saying, wow, I didn't really see that in the same way you saw it. So I found value in 
kind of maintaining myself as a designer and it gave me more confidence as a designer. So where like I went into it because I was mad at the design industry, I realized it, it actually was a value. The, and the, the problem that I was having, like the frustration basically came from me being in meetings with clients and not really valuing what I had to say, even though it felt like I had good input. And I realized in that degree program that it was that I wasn't speaking their language either. So once I understood how to communicate their language, it actually made me more successful as a designer. And I started to fall in love with it again. Nice. Yeah, we've had people on the show before that have talked about the importance of having that strategic part to design. Like, for example, if it's someone who went to like a strict four-year design school, they'll often find when they get out in the real world that it's different because it's sort of like the same thing you said. They can't speak the client's language or they can't speak the language of business and why Mm – business is important to design they can certainly speak why design is important to business but not the other way around so yeah it's good that it gave you that uh that knowledge and that that toolbox of information to kind of pull from as a designer yeah so what were some of the things that you were learning you said semiotics what's some of the other stuff so uh, well i did color theory when i was in bermuda college but the program that i was in so it started i started out in uh kind of more of a basic graphic design program but they had this other segment of it called the honors, the communication honors program. And at the time, I just honestly was like, you know, a lot of black people and in, in general, and me coming from Bermuda too, was like, you're going to get your degree and you're going to, it's going to solve all your problems type of mentality. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to graduate as soon as possible, come back and take over the world. I don't know, when I got into that, the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, I just, I noticed that I was, I didn't feel like I was that good of a designer compared to everybody else. And then they had this honors program and everybody in that program, they only selected like 20 people every two years or something, or every year or something. And they were like on another level. So, and I saw people around me applying to get in and I didn't like, I don't know, I had zero interest. I was just like, I just want to get out of here and be done with it. And it wasn't until maybe a year or so before I was actually set to graduate that I really, I think my, the passion for design really came out. And I was like, man, I really enjoy this stuff. And I enjoy it more so because I'm an artist that first and foremost, I draw and paint and all that kind of stuff. So me, it was more, it was less about design and more about the artistic pursuit. And it wasn't like, taking a few courses with people who are in the honors program and some of the instructors that like were leading the honors program kind of got me fired up about, you know what, I might actually be able to, to get in it. So I just applied and I got in. So once I got in there, it was like, it was less about us getting assessed on how well we designed a poster and more how well we could present ideas the aesthetics were still there and still important, but the conceptual side of design became much bigger of importance. So it sounds like school was the reason you ended up moving from Bermuda to Nova Scotia. Is that right? Yeah. Was, That's a big shift. <laughs> it's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> the challenge of being in Bermuda is that 
but we have Bermuda College, and that's the highest level of education. And like I said, in in like my culture, I got the associate's degree, which was good, but there was always this push to get more education, more education. So I had in my mind that I had to get a bachelor's degree, period. That was just something that from young was programmed into my brain. And my parents had always like they started saving for education for me from the time I was a baby and specifically for a a school in Canada. So it was like they kind of had it worked out. And a lot of people from Bermuda go to school either in Canada, actually Atlanta or the south because of the warm climate or Mm -hmm. they go to school in the UK because it's a British colony. So, yeah, it ended up I applied to Savannah. Well, actually, I'll start, go back. I was at Bermuda College, and one of my um, instructors, he went to Savannah College of Art and Design, and he suggested, he, he said it was really cool. He suggested I apply there, and they had a basketball team. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go there and play ball. And I had another teacher that suggested I apply to the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. And then I really like Toronto, so I applied to the Ontario, Ontario College of Art and Design. And... NASCAD was the only school to reply. And I was like, well, guess that's where I'm going. So kind of just worked out that way. <laughs> kind of a process of elimination. Yeah. I, the funny thing, I did zero research as to like what the city was like <laughs> or anything like that. I was just like, well, guess, where, <laughs> I guess that's where I'm going. <laughs> so what was your time like there? I know you said you kind of just wanted to get out. Did you not? Did you find when you got there it was different than what you expected? I had traveled to Canada a bunch of times, but it was always to Toronto or Montreal. And I knew I really liked the feel of those cities in terms of like multiculturalism and just the general vibe. And I did like Halifax. I still do like Halifax. But at the time, it was a little it wasn't as multicultural as those cities. So I didn't see myself wanting to like set up roots here at that time. And. And two, it was just that was just my plan in general. Even if I went to school in Toronto, it was the plan was, which is what most people do, they get the degree and then they they come back home. But yeah, it just it just didn't quite play out that way. I ended up meeting my wife about a year after I graduated, and the rest is history. So <laughs> yeah. Do you go back often to Bermuda? I try to go back once a year. Let me go back though. I don't want to like crap on Halifax or anything because I really do love this city it's it took me a while to realize that but Uh you know I do love the city so I just want to put that out there but anyway I I try to go back to Bermuda once a year I'll be there in October this year but you know sometimes finances don't go the way I want them to go so I can't always go so now that you've kind of you know set down roots in Halifax what's the art and design scene like there that's a really good scene. So you've got my school that I graduated from. You've got the Nova Scotia Community College. And you've got some smaller private art schools as well. And just a general creative community. So it's, I think they were like hipsters here before the hip, like hipster was a thing. <laughs> it's, it's like very creative vibe here. And it's a smaller city. But like once you get to know the community then it's like yeah they're they're very welcoming and you know like there's a lot of talented dope individuals that are here and coming out of here so now with the work that you're doing with art pays me talk about that how did you get started with that idea 
So, well, from the beginning, when I uh, was first like here, uh, my whole goal when I graduated from school was to work for a big an agency. So, like I to me, that seemed like the the most glamorous and cool thing to do is to be a designer at an agency. And every agency I applied to was not interested. And I ended up getting a job with a startup company that was a print magazine, and they made me the art director. So I was like the first employee, and they gave me whatever position I said that I wanted. So I was like, yeah, I'm the art director. So it, that experience kind of got me more interested in what it's like to start a business and to see, well, like you can really not know what you're doing and kind of figure things out and still turn something into a profitable thing if you, you know, make the right steps. So that kind of showed me how to do it. But then the, the magazine ended up folding. And after it folded, I was kind of left for a short period, like trying to figure out like how I was going to get the next job. And that's when I was interviewing with a lot of the agencies. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, we came up with the idea of starting a company called Glitterati Communications. She would hire me and we'd apply for a work permit through the government so I could stay in the country. And they ended up rejecting that application. They said she didn't pay me enough. Yeah, then I ended up um, finding my next job by chance, but I kept the business. I just kept the business name, and you know, once I got my status, I changed it over to my name, and I was just kind of freelancing, doing that while working a day job. And then around this was all around 2006, and then around 2011, I was like, man, I really want to get into like more interesting work. I want to do stuff that's more like exciting to me. And at the time I was starting to get really into hype beast and streetwear and all that kind of stuff and listening to a lot of music and following the blogs. So I started just with making t-shirts and there was no real rhyme or reason to them. It was just like if I'd hear a lyric and I'd just make a t-shirt inspired by that lyric. And it just kind of, they were like, yeah, it was just more like a fun passion project. And then uh, sale, like the sales didn't really come and there wasn't as much focus. You know, I got a little bit of media attention and stuff like that, but it just, I don't know, something wasn't working. And I had a friend who he had his own agency. This was in about 2015. And he always like was a fan of what I was doing. And I just was like, I need I need help. So we sat down and we, we had some meetings and he was trying to help me like work out an actual plan to like turn this into a, a business and not just a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I had designed one of the T-shirts that I kind of just vomited out during that time period was one that said art pays me. And we were just kind of looking through my designs and stuff. And then he kind of looked at me and like he had a, someone else working with her, him as well. And like, we just kind of looked at it and was like, art pays me. He was like, you know what? Have you ever considered changing the company's name? And I was like, mm, no, but that's <laughs> where you're going. And then we like immediately went on Instagram, started searching the hashtags and everything else. And it turned out I was like the only person that was actually using that hashtag and all over the place. So they were like, yo, 
you need to like change, get that Instagram handle locked down and buy a web domain right away because the more you've been hashtagging this thing, someone's going to see it and someone's going to take it. And if you don't take it, I'm going to take it. So I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, it kind of went from there. And then like from there, like our strategy sessions were more like, you know, what do you stand for? And because actually that's what it led to. Like we were just talking actual strategy and big literati, like it ended up being more about social empowerment, artistic empowerment. Those are the things that mattered to me more so than just being a cool like streetwear dude. It was like, how do I, how do I uh, be true to like this message of what I've dealt with, like of dealing with clients who didn't want to pay or people thinking that you shouldn't get paid because you happen to like what you do. Then talking to different artists and designers who felt like you're a sellout of something if you didn't if you cared about money and people just having like a, a bad, uh, you know, money giving people a bad vibe. And then even also to, to add it, another dimension to it is it doesn't necessarily being paid isn't necessarily about money either. It's about like value getting it. If you're not getting paid, at least are you getting some kind of value out of it besides just doing the work and letting other people run with the ball because as I learned in my experience most of these businesses out here they need us in order to exist there mm -hmm. is no business without a visible brand of some kind some kind of product something that looks a certain way so why are we sitting here accepting pennies from these people while they take our ideas and get rich so it kind of all came from my frustration with that happening that's a really wise statement. I like that. It's something that I know that all designers kind of innately know, yeah. but I don't think they really kind of articulated it in a way that can empower them in the way that you have. One thing I think is interesting, you know, you mentioned earlier, you're an artist first. Mm -hmm. Your your slogan or around your business is art pays me. Why did you decide art and not design? I've often toyed with that art versus design argument. And I'm not one of the people that actually believes that design is art, which is, I know, kind of strange <laughs> considering where I'm coming from. But the reason is because I see, I see design as a, as a specifically strategic process in that, that at times may need art. Because I met some extremely good designers, better than myself, who couldn't draw the, you know, the way out of a paper bag. But, you know, as far as visual skills, they didn't really have many, but they had really good, they had a good idea for composition and things like that. Mm -hmm. And for me, design is along those lines of problem solving, but not just, it's also, it's just about like, you have a specific goal and you need Sometimes it doesn't have to be beautiful. Sometimes you got to make something ugly. It's all it, it's you're trying to create something that provokes a response, whether it's someone to be fired up to rally against you guys president or whether you're <laughs> trying to convince someone to buy something. It's always trying to accomplish a goal. Whereas with art, when I'm making art, I don't really care what people, you know, I'd love it if they enjoy it. But I'm not, you know, trying to accomplish some kind of specific goal. I'm just making it. And if you like it, you like it. Great. If you don't, well, you know, it's not for you. And that's all right. 
Okay. And I think design can't do that. Yeah, we certainly hear a lot about how design is about problem solving. And one way that I kind of think about design is sort of like the practical application of art, if that makes any sense. Yes, absolutely. Like, you know, putting it forth towards a specific type of end goal. Like I, I tell people all the time that everything that we use in the world is passed through some lens of design, you know, whether it's the clothes we wear, the chairs we sit in, et cetera. But also, you know, design has that art component in that it has to look good. It has to, as you said, it has to provoke a response. Yeah. Now, one of your designs that I found interesting, now I went through the website, uh, one of the designs I thought was really interesting is a shirt that says, uh, Fear of a Black Scotia. Yeah. Can you talk to me about the inspiration behind that? Yeah, so they came from a few places. Uh, it was a a collaboration with myself and another friend of mine. He's starting to get into design, but he I know him more as a spoken word artist. And he he tends to like talk a lot about black issues. Mm-hmm. Um and he had a, a piece and I'm forgetting what the what how it went, but it basically is talking about how like this is this part of the world isn't typically known for having a black population. But mm-hmm. it basically goes into the history of how black people have been here for as long as white people, basically, and naming significant people who contributed to the culture and then gets into how we're still negatively stigmatized in culture, despite, you know, the contributions we've made. And me being from Bermuda, coming from, you know, mostly black population and being, you know, teased for being skinny and whatever else, you know, people would, would try to try me sometimes. And, I, you know, I've never been the guy to let that happen. But, you know, there's always someone that's going to try to try you. And then coming here and the exact opposite, people telling me I'm scary, people telling me that, they know that I would be able to beat them up. And I'm like, how do you know I can even fight? People being like just generally intimidated by me and and me sensing it. They don't have to always even say it. Like you could just kind of sense sometimes that people are scared of you. And I have to say I'm glad it, it feels like the vibe is not like that as much now. But I had an incident that happened just earlier this year where – I was at a basketball game with my goddaughter. She was playing, and it was there with my family, my kids. Actually, my goddaughter was playing. And the game took place in a mostly black community, and the team that my goddaughter plays for is mostly black. And the team that was visiting is white, mostly. And the parents were mostly white. And But all throughout the season, we they always played in their community, except for this one one game, which was like a, a league final or something. Anyway, and I heard mul- I overheard multiple people say that they heard the parents commenting on how dangerous the environment was. Mm. But when I look around, all I see is kids smiling, kids playing, fathers, mothers, all just they're enjoying a basketball game. So what? What's so scary and dangerous about the environment other than it's in a community you're not comfortable in? And why are you not comfortable? 
And it just brought me back to those early days of how I felt like, man, like I would even like times when I have legit reasons to be mad about stuff, I would always be afraid of like being stigmatized as the angry black man or whatever. So, you know, you just kind of calm it down and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, lately just seeing all this stuff with Black Lives Matter, all the stuff that's been happening with the police shootings and social injustice in general. And it's just I've gotten to the point where I'm like, if I got to be angry black man, I just I don't care anymore. Like I'm keeping it real like and, you know, it's not going to be keep it real goes wrong like Chappelle style. But (laughs) I'm going to let people know that I'm not having it. You're not going to you know, I've too old at this point. I got too much education. Like, I'm not going to let you play me because you think a certain way about me and my people. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you know, I see you, I see what's happening here. So that's what that t-shirt was. And I knew it was going to make people uncomfortable. I knew people weren't going to like it. And I think I like with the big literati stuff, I always wanted to stir the pot, but my wife didn't really go like it because it sometimes it was just controversial to be controversial. Whereas this now I found the sweet spot is be controversial in topics that actually mean something to me. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's where it came from. Yeah, you know, uh, I've been doing Revision Path for four and a half years now. Before that, I did the Black Weblog Awards from 2004 to 2011. And people just have a problem with, I think, positive representations of blackness in general. Well, I think we know where it comes from, but <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's... Yeah, it's it's hard to try to find that sweet spot, especially when it doesn't feel like you're doing anything wrong. Yeah. Like what you're doing is mostly a reaction to what's being what's happening to you or what you're seeing in the community. It's not like this is occurring in a vacuum or anything. So I, I know that feeling very, very well. It's something I still get with revision path, even, you know, even two hundred episodes in, I still will get you know, certain remarks or emails or things like that that are just like, but like I said, it's to the point where like I'm too old, I've gotten too far that this doesn't even, this doesn't even bother me anymore. Like it's really more your problem than my problem. Yeah, it is. And that's, that's what, where I've, I've come with it too. Like, and unfortunately I, you know, I see a lot of people let it affect their, their self-esteem and and stuff like that. I've just, I'm just at a point where I, I refuse to. I know what my worth is. I know what my value is. And if people don't want to see it, that's their problem. Oh, I want to add too. like the aesthetic of it was also inspired by the fear of a black planet uh, by public enemy. Mm-hmm. So I had the, the yellow writing as to pay a homage to them from that album cover. But it was basically the same concept, but just for Nova Scotia. What is your philosophy as a designer? I mean, certainly, I think with a, a title like art pays me it might be a little you know kind of on the nose but Mm -hmm. also because you've got this uh this kind of strong slant of social issues how does that play into your philosophy as a designer i'd say my philosophy as a designer like the way i was trained anyway is the funny thing is we had kind of a more of a swiss leaning philosophy in terms of there's a lot of modernism minimalism in general but I also take like a kind of postmodernist approach, whereas, and this is where like studying semiotics and rhetoric and all that kind of stuff came into place, was, is, 
you have to really look at your client and look at what the client is trying to accomplish and who their audience is. And that's going to dictate what visual style you're going to use. That's going to dictate which fonts you're going to use, which photos you're going to use, what kind of language you're going to use. My philosophy is to really look at things from a holistic standpoint. And that's kind of also why I'm kind of stepping back from the design industry to a degree from a like freelance perspective because I, I've come to realize I, I end up telling my clients, well, you need to change everything. You can't just, <laughs> you know, I can't just slap something on you and, and make your stuff pretty. Like your content yeah. is working. This isn't working. Your product isn't that good. You know, I'm, I think it's about the whole thing. And I'm, at this point, if I can't be involved in like all of it, then I don't really want to be involved. So, yeah, like it, now I'm starting to appreciate having a specific style because I can see where that's helpful in like getting you into like that intentional thing. So it's like I want to work in athletics, for instance. So, you know, maybe your aesthetic is going to always kind of focus in that way. But if you're the type that wants to be more of an agency that does a broad range of work, then you got to also, you got to be willing to, to dabble in any style that is needed for the particular project. I'm going to flip that question around now. What's your philosophy as an artist? My philosophy as an artist is do what's true to you. Like one thing I learned about art and take all this damn school I did uh, (laughs) is is this opened my eyes up big time is like looking at art history. And it seems like in every generation you have people who are breaking the rules in some way or doing something in a different way than everyone else. And the everyone in, in their generation is like, oh, this person is not good. Their their vision is off. They should be drawing this way. Like the realists are saying you sh- you you should be doing more representational work you shouldn't be doing this abstract like every generation had some had the the few people that were breaking the rules and doing things the wrong way and then the very next generation the same people who are breaking the rules and doing things the so-called wrong way are now the same people telling other people that they're doing things the wrong way and i see that happening in music now everyone's mad at the the mumble rappers i see it happening <laughs> And it just plays out. And like people keep repeating this same cycle. We've been doing it from like for thousands of years. Don't we realize like things have to evolve? Like when you make art, you put it out there. And as much as you love it and you're attached to it, you have to also realize that you just put, once you put it out there, you you have to set it free because now it's there for anyone to reinterpret. And it's going to get reinterpreted if it has any impact. But to me, I just think if as long as you're being as authentic to your own vision as much as possible as an artist, you put it out there. If other people take it afterwards and run with it, you know, it's their prerogative as well. But it doesn't take away from who you are and what you do as an artist. What are some of your influences? You, you just mentioned music. What else influences you or who else, I should say, influences you? It's kind of cliche, but I, I take it from everything. So... You know, I even sometimes just like to have a sketchbook close by because who knows like what's going to pop into my head. But I could just be walking my dog and something I see something the way the tree is blowing in the wind or something. 
but I think it's important as a designer to consume culture as much as possible. I'm guilty in a way of like saying, well, I don't like to watch TV, but at the same time, like my wife really does like to watch TV. So, you know, when I'm spending time with her, it kind of gives me that kind of forces me to sit down and, you know, I end up watching something and I'm like, whoa, okay, that right there. So it's consuming culture, watching movies, watching TV, listening to music, just getting outside and experiencing the world. Like, that's what I kind of realized that that's where it all comes from. When I first graduated, I was so obsessed with this. Your typography has to be such a, a specific way and don't use this font and don't use that font and your photos have to be. But as an artist and a designer, too, like it's the stuff that matters to you that's important to you that actually shapes what your work is, is, you know? Yeah. What has you excited at the moment? Is there any, anything you're watching, reading, listening to that's kind of really stoking you creatively? Man, like, yeah, Jay-Z's latest album that, that had me like fired up for a couple of weeks now. And cause I felt like he, he hit on a lot of stuff that I've been thinking for a while and, even you, man, your podcast has been very like inspirational to me as far as like celebrating what we do as people and being unapologetic about it. It's like if you look at like Jay-Z talked about like how Jewish people are, are doing well in general. And I see it here, not necessarily with Jewish people, but with other cultural groups who it's not that they're anti other people. It's that they're banding together and helping each other grow they have their own networks that they're like listening to that to that was like yeah we as black people have really got to like cut the bs man and stop like listening to as much as i love hip-hop like i had enough training from my parents to know that you can't just take this stuff literally that these guys are saying and do it yeah jay-z was essentially saying that in a lot of this and I'm like, I'm listening to it. I'm like, I hope that people are are getting that from it. I know some people aren't, but uh, it's just the idea that we as black people have power. We have influence. We don't need to ask for permission anymore. We need to just, you know, just work together and find a way to grow, save money, build credit, own things, own businesses, support each other. That kind of thing. I got you. I definitely agree with that. I need to listen to. I'm so behind on all my music. I know people are listening are probably <laughs> groaning right now. <laughs> I'm behind on all music. I'm like a year behind on a lot of Netflix stuff. I I need to get back more into consuming culture so I can get inspired about things. But but no, I know what you mean about you know being able to band together within your community because. But one thing, you know, you, you talked about Jay-Z's 444, also with Revision Path, that's really why I did this, is to celebrate what we have in our community in terms of digital designers and developers and artists and illustrators, et cetera, like showcasing who we are, because I got tired of kind of hearing the question, like, you know, where are the, where are the black designers or where are the black, you know, creative directors or anything like that? And I know them and I knew that they were around. It's just a matter of, actually talking to them and hearing their stories and learning about the work that they're doing. One thing that I think is pretty interesting in doing this for so long is even 200 plus episodes in, 
that question is still a prevalent question. It's something I still hear. It's certainly something that I am still responding to, I think, with every episode that I do. But yeah, there, it has to get to this point where we realize the power that we have within our own community, you know, and, and the more that we do that, the more that we are, are bold about that, the more that we invest in ourselves, the more that we kind of just dream bigger, the better that we all kind of become in general. Yeah. You know, and I, I see sometimes too, like we're, I think we're almost afraid to embrace our greatness in a lot of ways. Like, you know, we're like, well, I don't want to be the only one, so I'm not going to go to that meeting or I'm not going to go to that event because I don't want to be the only black person. No. I, sometimes I, I, I don't know if we always see that we are capable of doing more. And I think that's what holds us down in a lot of communities. Like there's this cultural misunderstanding of us that gets put down as negative and bad. And I feel like it's kind of up to people like me who have pushed through that and saying, okay, well, you know what? Maybe the establishment doesn't see value in you, but I'm going to reach out back to you and I'm going to like hook you up with an opportunity or I'm going to listen to what you have to say and value your thought because, you know, I understand that the rest of the world maybe doesn't value what you have to offer. Yeah. Like, you know, how have you found like, so this is something that I always wondered about when I didn't get some of those design jobs. You know, mm -hmm. you hear about the cultural fit. Like, I wonder, like, how much of that works against us sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, do, are people just kind of hiring people that they would feel like they would have a beer with and they don't really huh. see, a, like, a black dude from a certain community or from a certain country, in my case, as that dude even if the work is good or a woman i should say too like you know are women suffering from the same issue are gay people suffering from the same issue trans people you know are people just like well you know i wouldn't really hang out with them and subconsciously you know cultural fit they don't fit in with our culture so you know that's why yeah. even though they were good yeah so you're like wondering is there like some intra-community strife kind of happening i think so yeah i think so just because people are different humans love to classify things yeah i certainly think that's that's the case i mean I, I can give you i can give an example just for myself and i hate to be talking about myself so much but i mean i'm from rural alabama i'm from selma alabama mm -hmm. grew up dirt poor single parent household like <laughs> you name all of the things that were stereotyped against me growing up mm -hmm. it applied in some sort of way just in terms of like the the negative stereotypes. But I mean, I was still smart, graduated top of my class in high school, ended up going to Morehouse here in Atlanta, which is a well-known, it's an all-male HBCU. Yep. Well, super well-known. And even at a place like Morehouse that is supposed to be kind of the pinnacle of, you know, black male achievement in terms of education and things like that, there's so much division. Mm. You would not believe it. I mean, and I mean, but it's division across things that people are, I guess you could say proud of. I don't know. Like there's division, of course, across where you came from, like, you know, different country, different city, different state. Mm -hmm. There's divisions across, you know, just class lines, yeah. poor, rich. There's division among freshmen and sophomores to juniors and senior seniors. There's, there's a huge division with straight students and, and students that aren't straight LGBT students. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there's all that mix of stuff that's going on 
in Morehouse, but it's still kind of classified as this one, you know, kind of one big thing. And even as I've graduated, I mean, I'm, I've been out of Morehouse now for <laughs> too long. Let's just say that I want to date myself, but out of Morehouse for a while now. And it's still to the point where like, I, like I have a Afro, I wear graphic t-shirts and stuff and I will still get stereotyped on just that outward appearance, even though I've got, you know, an education, I have a master's degree. I've been in business now for almost 10 years. I'm doing this podcast and I will get that kind of, you know, I guess stereotyping and things, and it'll be from other black people a lot of times. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, we don't think that he'll be able to be in our group. Cause I mean, with Morehouse, it's a very, it also tends to be a very like suit and tie type of institution. I've never been like a suit and tie person at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like, if you don't fall in that kind of line of, you know, respectability, then it's, I don't know. That's a really interesting thing to look into like are we doing that to ourselves in some sort of way i think we are i think so yeah like i the whole respectability politics is something that's big in bermuda too like which i think it's it helped me in a way but at the same time i kind of rebel against it too because you know we did grow up with why you listen to that music that's you know why your pants hanging off your ass like why you're you know we all had to wear school uniforms which i actually liked but it w- there was always this like idea of like you kind of have to present yourself in a certain way, and it was almost like to appeal to who, you know? Right, right. I, you know who are we trying to impress? Oh, okay. So to me, it's like I'm I'm at a point now where I'm like, you know, I I understand when I'm in a certain place, and I, I've heard some of my friends that I respect say nonsense like that too, and I'm like, I just I have to call them out because it's like. You know what? When I'm at work, that's one thing. But if I'm on the street, if I want to wear my graphic tees and my 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 baggy whatever, you know, and even if I am at work, if I'm doing my job effectively, I'm not going to go on a job interview. But you know, if or if there's some dress code, but I don't, I I don't know. I feel like people using that as a justification for why police can harass you or why you know it's okay for people to just be generally terrible to you. It's like, no, no, it's not okay. Actually, they should be respecting you just because you're a human being. Let's switch gears here a little little bit. Sorry. No, 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 no. I I mean, I like where certainly where the conversation is going. I mean, we could, we could keep talking about that for another hour, but who are some of the mentors that kind of helped you out along the way when you made that move from Bermuda to Nova Scotia, when you got that first design job, you know, earlier you, you talked about someone that kind of helped you shape what it was that you were doing with Be Glitterati into the business that is now Art Pays Me. Yeah. Who are some of those people that have helped you out? You know, like I'm one of those people who unfortunately wasn't really able to have a mentor per se directly. So a lot of what I did was trial and error on my own. But what I would say is like my first two jobs were with small businesses. So just kind of watch like, being there, listening to them on business calls, just kind of seeing like how the dynamics played out within the, those companies. That was like kind of informal mentorship for me to teach me like what it is to be a business owner to some degree. And then the rest, like it's more recently, I'd say it's been peers and me reaching out. There was a, there's a local designer who's from here who's here but she's fairly well known and she just accepted a sit-down meeting with me I just approached her out of the blue 
and she just you know shared a bunch of game with me about how, how she started and what her suggestions are she didn't have to do that her name's uh, Lisa Drader Murphy you know I've also got like friends like Mo Hanadal she's like doing the uh, kind of designer but she's also like an influencer online she's doing really well here and my friend Bo who he's the one who helped me with the art pays me name and uh just yeah I find it's at this point it's more my contemporaries and also to my wife like she's like the um where I'm kind of like the visionary and in in the clouds a little bit she's always like okay but how's that going to make money like she's like <laughs> kind of like the practical side to a degree and sometimes I don't I don't like telling her stuff because I'm like oh, I'm scared she's not gonna she's not gonna think it's all right but you know at the end of the day I kind of need that because you know you need someone who's gonna give you some some feedback sometimes I tend to want to be alone a lot so yeah so she kind of keeps you grounded basically yeah basically yeah so you're a family man yourself. Are your kids interested in art and design? Yeah, I have two kids. My, I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. My nine-year-old is a lot like me. She's really good at drawing. She, like, I set her up on Photoshop the other day, and I thought I was going to have to teach her all kinds of stuff, and she just took it and figured out a lot of stuff on her own. <laughs> I, she definitely has... Are a, a real gift for it and she's just prolific and she draws and creates on her own all the time yeah so um and my other daughter she's just more recently starting to get into it but you know if you ask her she's straight up says no she sits down and does like math problems mm-hmm. just she loves math math is good my degree is in math i love math that's right yeah <laughs> What are the best things that you owe your parents? You you mentioned them briefly earlier about kind of them helping you out. Of course, you know, just as parental figures. But what are the best things that you think you owe to them when it comes to your work and who you are as a person? Just generally being supportive and being a good being good uh, examples of how to be a good human being. My dad, he was a taxi driver and a musician. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but he was actually a business owner. So because he owned two taxis and I never really thought of it at that time. So he was actually kind of an example of entrepreneurship to me and his passion was music. So he he played music at night and he drove taxi during the day. And to thinking back, like to see how he was able to kind of structure his life to to live it the way he wanted to is is the ultimate goal for me then my mom was just you know my dad was a was wasn't home a lot because of the way he worked too and just seeing how she was able to work a nine-to-five come home still make us food you know and do all the housework and all that stuff it it kind of shaped my view on what you know male and female roles are in in life like I don't have like that whole women are supposed to be in the kitchen thing and blah 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 like because I like seeing the way my mom was able to do basically all of it made me realize you know she's one of the smartest people I know like she's to to see how she was able to just do do that stuff it just my whole mind frame when I when I see people like put women in certain categories and boxes it really pisses me off so there's that. And also they 
were never shy about informing me of the realities of society. So I was that kid who grew up not really experiencing racism and thinking that racism was over. And I remember when I was about 18, I got into a heated argument with my dad about it. And they were like, just basically trying to come, like, let me know, like, no, you're going to get yourself in trouble thinking that everything's fine and good. Um, you know, and they, you know, my dad was, as a musician, was telling me about how, you know, back in the day, he used to have to use a separate entrance than the other musicians. And just, you know, and he's, he wasn't that old, you know, mm -hmm. so it's like, it's keeping, and they, yeah, they had issues with buying their house because of race. So it was stuff like that, like, generally, and then also them being willing to pay for my education. Like, many people don't have that. And I'm, like, forever grateful that they were willing to do that for me. Because it allowed me to, to kind of start out and without having to worry about paying off student loans and, and uh, be debt-free. And, you know, I had room to make mistakes and, and recover. So, like, any way that I, you know, I can't ever repay them. I just, it's, I'm forever grateful. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? you have like a, a dream project or anything that you'll be working on? Yeah. So next five years, you know, I'm going to continue working in information management as long as I can, but I'm also going to continue to build the brand. So five years from now, I, I hope to see myself having some employees. I'm already starting to like look into having some help because I've realized I can't do it all by myself and scale. So I'm hoping that uh, at some point I'll have like an actual physical retail location. I'll like to have more presence in bigger cities across Nova, uh, across uh, North America and in Bermuda. And I'd also like to have like a legitimate art practice tied into the brand as well. So I'd like to get back into doing gallery shows and things like that and mentorship. And, you know, when I do get the physical location, like it can't just be for clothes. It's got to have some kind of additional piece to it where it's helping the community or it's, it's having some kind of greater impact. And that's where I, I haven't quite figured out yet, but definitely just onward and upward. So that's, that's kind of where I see it going. Well, just to, you know, wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? The social network that I'm at, uh, I'm on the most is uh, Instagram. So it's at art pays me. I'm also on Twitter at, at art pays me. And I have a Facebook page that I check all of them daily, but it's also at art pays me. But uh, I'm definitely more focused on Instagram these days. And then there's my website, which is www.artpaysme.com. And that's where you can buy my stuff and just learn generally more about my brand. All right. Sounds good. Well, Dwayne Jones, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for really kind of spelling out a lot of things that, you know, we talk about on the show a lot. But it's always interesting, I think, to get a good international perspective on things i mean you know canada it, it, <laughs> i mean us in the u.s we you know sort of think of canada of course as as our neighbor and not necessarily like a quote-unquote foreign country but little brother yeah i won't say well, i guess you could say that i don't know but i mean it, it's it's good to hear that you've certainly made a a name for yourself and carved out a niche in 
a community that I don't think many of us here in the States even thought had that kind of opportunity, you know, going on. I really applaud the fact that you've been able to kind of join these these left brain and right brain ideas, so to speak, into the work that you do, like the work as an information management, as well as your art and design background, to be able to join them together with this is a is something really cool. I really like the art pays me. I like the slogan. I like the brand. I think it's all, it's super dope. And I hope a lot of people really start paying attention to it. So thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, sir. This was great. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Dwayne Jones and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Dwayne and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Their mission is to make the world more open and connected, and they use design to create prototypes, shape experiences, and ultimately solve problems as well. Learn more about Facebook Design at facebook.com forward slash design. Whether you need to sell your product, share some big news, or just tell a story, MailChimp makes it easy to create campaigns that best suit your message. You know your business. Let MailChimp help you grow it. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send a better email. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. They offer free private domain registration, your choice of hundreds of domain extensions, and you can connect them to your favorite web service. Ready to get started? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit siteground.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by R.J. Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. First, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And second, leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two to do. It really helps the show by bumping us up in the rankings for design podcasts over there. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, news about upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.